The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. That's when I heard him whisper All of Jesus, none of me All of Jesus All of Jesus All of Jesus None of me All of Jesus All of Jesus All of Jesus None of me Oh, the glorious liberation and endless celebration when I found him in wondrous jubilee. Should you ask, I'll gladly tell you of the key to our salvation, all of Jesus, none of me. All of Jesus, all of Jesus, all of Jesus, none of me. God had a problem. The problem was that one of his cherubim had rebelled against him. Now the cherubim, and I sometimes have a hard time telling the difference between the cherubim and the seraphim, 
They were both mighty warlike angels. But specifically, the cherubim, as we find in the book of Ezekiel, were the guardians of God. They were most powerful and were told that this angel by the name of Lucifer who had rebelled against God was the wisest, most powerful creature God had ever created. Now God had a problem because this cherubim had dwelt in his very presence, continually in the presence of God. This powerful cherubim is written of in the scriptures in several places. It takes wisdom to understand, but let me share with you Isaiah, the 14th chapter. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Lucifer means literally brightness, burning morning star. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That is above all other angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. That's the throne of God. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So he is going to try to defeat God. He has dwelt in the presence of God. He knows God intimately. He is a mighty, mighty creature. And he has made charges against the Almighty God. He has charged that it is impossible to be righteous. It is impossible to follow the commands of God, that God is unloving, that he is unjust, that he is not fair. And he has now spoken secretly with many other angels until a third of the heavenly host has joined him in the rebellion. Now they are cast out of heaven. But now God has a problem. What will he do to show, to demonstrate, to put on the line his integrity before all of the universes? Science now tells us that that we are one of the smallest universes that they are spread out across the heavens, countless numbers. Before all of these universes, God has been charged. And now what should he do? He calls a meeting in heaven. We're not told who is in the meeting. But we know God is in the meeting, and I suspect other powerful, supporting angels 
are in the meeting, the sons of God, as they are referred to in the book of Job. They have the meeting, and in that meeting it is decided something so stunning and so spectacular that as I look at it, I am shaken to the core. I, like you, am always tempted to look in the present as the reality. For I cannot go to the past. I cannot go to the future. I can only be in the present. But God is not limited by time, for he created time. So he can be in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. No other created, no created being has that power. That is God's power. In this meeting, a decision is made. Now, please understand, at this point, In history, there is no one called the Father or the Son or, I suspect, the Holy Spirit. These names were specifically designated in this meeting. God is one God who manifests himself in three persons. And so God made the decision that he would manifest himself on the earth as a human person. But I'm getting ahead of my story. First, they had to create the earth. Now, we don't know if the earth existed from Many years prior, millions of years even, perhaps, we don't know. What we do know is that in seven days, God created a beautiful paradise called earth. And on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. He spent it with Adam and Eve, his creation. Just a word about his creation. Adam and Eve were the weakest of all of God's creation in his image. Lucifer, or Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, he was the most powerful of God's creation, the most wise of God's creation. So God created the earth to be a great stage before the universe. And on this stage was to be played out the eternal destiny of the universes. For God could not allow the charge to stand that he was unloving, unkind, dishonest. He could not allow the charge to stand that you could not keep the commands of the Lord that he was a hard man, an impossible God. And of course, Lucifer wanted to replace God with himself. 
He wanted to relegate God to an old man who had no significance, and he was ready and prepared to take over the universe if he could but disprove the love of God, if he could show that God was a a false God, if he could demonstrate that God was unfair, unloving, then Satan thought he could move in and take over as God over the universes. Now, please, I hope you see this is a stargate. This is a star chamber. This is a spectacular demonstration between God and Lucifer to determine who was right and who was wrong, to determine who would rule. And so the stage was set. And Adam and Eve were created. And now the strongest being comes against the weakest being in what we know as the Garden of Eden. Now the Garden of Eden was a paradise. It's very clear that God's intention was for Adam and Eve to go forth into the earth and tame the entire earth. That's the word in the Hebrew, to tame it. They were to create a world paradise modeled after the Garden of Eden. That was their work. And as they matured and grew up, it was God's intention to make them his wife. So in the Garden of Eden, you have Adam, the man, And there's no one to be his wife. And so God comes and takes a rib out of of, uh, Adam's side. And with this, the scriptures tell us he creates a woman. She is weaker than he is. And I might add, she was extremely beautiful. Now, God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he bent over and breathed into him the breath of life, I guess mouth to mouth, and breathed his spirit into Adam, and he became a living being, a spirit being with a flesh body. Now he takes this piece of rib out of Adam, And he creates Eve, but Eve does not live. Again, God breathes into Eve the breath of life. And she comes alive as a spirit being in the flesh. Now, the wonderful thing is that they loved each other. We're told in the book of Ephesians by the Apostle Paul that marriage is God's symbol between himself and his church, his people. So now we have Adam and Eve in the garden paradise 
walking in love. God comes in the cool of every evening as he fellowships with them. He walks and talks with them. He's courting them. They are to become his wife. Now into this mix comes Lucifer, Satan, to seduce them. And in a very ironic, clever way, you know what irony is as a as a figure of speech, as a technique. Irony is saying that what you see is not what is real. It's a device humor, a, a humor device. It's a It's what the devil used. He said, things are not the way you think they are. God is withholding from you. God is unfair. Now, if you'll just follow what I tell you, and you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll become gods. Like, I'm a god. You'll become like me. You'll become like the God Most High. Well, Eve decides to bite. She takes the fruit. She gives it to her husband. And where was he? Why wasn't he objecting? Why wasn't he saying, Sweetheart, our loyalty is to the God of heaven, not to this monstrous, ugly, yet beautiful dragon. Breaks my heart to see men and women today with tattoos of dragons. For literally, they have tattooed on their bodies the demons of hell, Satan. A sign that they belong to him. So now on this great stage called Earth, the drama of the universes will be played out. And there will be a winner and there will be a loser. the God of heaven in that private session made the decision to risk everything with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, being the weakest of all creatures, fell to his seduction. And as they fall to his seduction, they are remade in the image of Satan in their spirit. They immediately lose their covering and now they see that they are naked. Now they have shame. Now there is recrimination. Now there is bitterness. Now there is anger. Now there is blaming others, not taking responsibility. We now have creatures that have been reformed in their inner being because they have taken the side of darkness. They have taken the side of the devil. They have betrayed the God of heaven. And now they are driven from their home and they must earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. Their whole world changes. 
the curses are spoken. Now they must earn their bread by farming. But in their hearts resides all of the darkness that resides in the heart of Satan. And that's evidenced quickly in the life of their son Cain as he murders Abel. And violence begins to spread across the whole earth as they have children and children's children, generation after generation. Now, they've been told that if you eat of this tree, you will die. And on the day they ate of it, their spirit died. That connection with God. But in Genesis 3.15, a promise is given. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Who is the woman? The woman is represented by Adam and Eve the wife of God. Not yet. Not yet. They have destroyed their bond with Almighty God. Now they belong to the devil. But a promise is made. There will be a small opening where mankind, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, will be able to hate their sin and hate the serpent Lucifer. In other words, there is an opportunity for repentance. Had God not given that small gateway, we would have had no opportunity to be saved. We were deceived in Adam and Eve, and now Adam and Eve give birth to their children. And one of the laws of nature is that each kind gives birth to its kind. An elephant never gives birth to a giraffe. A giraffe never gives birth to a dog. Each kind gives birth after its kind. And so Adam and Eve give birth after their kind as sons and daughters of the devil. But there is a small opening that has been created where these beings can become sick of the violence, sick of Satan, and turn to the living God of heaven. The universes are watching this. They are stunned. It seemed unfair for the strongest and wisest of God's creatures, Lucifer, to go against the weakest of God's creatures who are created in the image of God, Adam and Eve. Lucifer says, I won. The world now belongs to me. And he decided he would make it into his heaven, a place of murder, of uncleanness. The angels came and taught the women the ways of seduction, the painting of their face. The angels came and taught man the art of warfare and metals. It was a sophisticated culture. We see part of that culture in the great sphinx of Egypt. Some even say in the pyramids of Egypt and the pyramids in other parts of the world. These are pre-flood images 
buildings left over from prior to the flood. In Egypt, you will see depicted in ancient, ancient paintings, helicopters, airplanes, spacemen. This is all from Satan giving this high-tech information to the sons and daughters of man. Then came the flood. After the flood, the lifespan of man was dramatically shortened. And now, God begins to move in great power. He draws Abraham out to himself from Ur of the Chaldees, a center of utter wickedness. He draws him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He sends him to the promised land. And there he begins to train Abraham up as a righteous man. He takes the children of Israel, Jacob's sons and daughters, and he sends them into Egypt. Egypt now becomes the womb of God to give birth to a righteous and holy people called Israel. The universes are watching. And then the most unexpected event takes place in all of history. We now have God the Father called Father. We now have the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to have Jesus. All of the names of God reflect not their real names, but rather their function in the salvation of earth and the salvation of the universe. Jesus made the decision, or God made the decision, to manifest himself as Jesus on the earth so that he could demonstrate before men who God really was and who God really is. Satan never dreamed that God would lower himself to become the weakest of God's creation. He tried Jesus, tempting him, trying to determine if this was truly God. And he could not seduce Jesus as he did Adam. For Jesus was loyal to the Godhead, to heaven. And now we have Jesus walking on the earth. And Satan is determined he will destroy Jesus. Because he knows that if he can destroy Jesus, he can destroy God. And he can take over the universes. He is not successful. And then the most stunning turn of events takes place. Jesus allows himself to be taken captive, to be crucified. And Satan believes that if he can crucify Jesus, 
he can kill God. And then the road is open for him to take over the universes. Now, have you ever read in the scriptures of a lamb being offered as a sacrifice or a bull being offered as a sacrifice in the old covenant where the lamb or the bull was beaten before it was sacrificed? No. Never. The devil, however, came beating Jesus trying to turn him aside from dying on Calvary, taking out his full wrath against God, saying, I will destroy you, God. Jesus dies on Calvary, a perfect man without sin. Now, what Satan does not know is that if an atonement is made by the rules of heaven, by a man who has never sinned. He can make atonement for the sin of the world and open a door into heaven's wonderful presence. Jesus died on Calvary. And on the third day, he was resurrected. And he arose and he ascended to the Father, and his sacrifice was accepted. And now, the wrath of Satan has gone out against his church. You see, God still needs his bride. The strong, mighty God wants the weak, woman, the beautiful woman, to be his bride. But Satan has marred, incredibly marred this woman. He has ravished her. He has done all in his power to destroy, to turn aside from the Almighty God. And then we come to the book of Ephesians. Please, the book of Ephesians is the book of the church. There is no salvation outside of the church. The church is the ark of God. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, the church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. The church is a living body. The church is is where two or three gather in the name of Jesus Christ, because there he is with them. He has given himself utterly and totally for his bride. And all of the universes watch with wonder. The angels are stunned by what Jesus has done. I'm sure heaven was weeping as Jesus was crucified on that cross and lay in that tomb. I'm sure they did not understand. I'm sure there were many questions. How could this be that God could die? But on the third day, he came to life. And now we find in the book of Ephesians, this plan of God being played out 
and you are a part of it. But please let me say very quickly to you, remember the children of Israel. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, talks about this. Yes, they were called out. Yes, they were part of the church. But they refused to believe. They refused to submit to Jesus. And because they refused to submit, many were left in the desert to die. Please hear what I'm saying to you. You can choose to turn your back on the wonderful revelation that I'm sharing with you today. Or you can choose to come under the authority of Jesus and believe his word. If you die, that will not stop Jesus from having his people. The children of Israel went into the promised land. They were just cleansed of all who would not believe. The church is going to be triumphant. The church will go through in victory, and Satan will not be able to tear it apart or tear it down. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head, the husband. And he is right now in the heavenly realm, administering the blood he shed on Calvary's tree. Now, there are some who say, when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave all of your past, present, and sin, and past, present, and future sins. That is a lie from the pit of Satan's heart. Because what Satan wants to do is cause you to continue to walk in unrighteousness, to not avail yourself of the gift of Jesus on the cross to totally transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Satan wants you to go to sleep and say, I can continue to walk in the way of darkness, in the way of Lucifer, the devil, and I'm still saved. The children of Israel tried to do that, and they died in the desert. And you too will die in the desert if you miss what I'm trying to teach you today. Now we go to the book of Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one having blessed us with every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. See, you are a spirit being. Have you ever seen love? No. You've seen the result of love. But love is what resides in our heart. What you do day by day with this hand, you see my hand? This hand has never been angry. My hand doesn't become angry. But my spirit can become enraged Tell my hand to form a fist and punch somebody's lights out. But that wasn't my hand. 
That was my spirit. We are spirit beings. And Jesus has told us that the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is primarily concerned with the deep inner being of your heart because he knows that all outward manifestations flow out of your spirit. Your personality flows out of your spirit. Your soul flows out of your spirit. Now he says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is given to you in Christ Jesus. So there is nothing in your spirit that cannot be dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hear what I'm saying. Sin is a choice. It's not something we have to do. It depends on what our spirit is directing. Now he says, Just as he and no other picked us out in himself before the foundation of the world for us to be holy and blameless before him in love. Everything God does is in love. Everything Satan does is in hate. Everything God does is to build up. Everything Satan does is to tear down. Every time spirits are spoken of of darkness in Scripture, they are called unclean spirits because Satan is filthy dirty. He has rebelled against the purity of God. So now he's saying, you were picked before the foundation of the world. In other words, in the meeting in heaven that I referred to earlier, A decision was made to pick the church as God's bride. And the decision had to be made, how will the bride be cleansed if the bride gives herself to the devil? And Adam and Eve, the bride, gave themselves to the devil, the bride-to-be, the fiancé. And the fiancé. Before the foundation of the world was laid, before the Garden of Eden was created, God already decided that he would have a church. And that church would be holy and righteous. So he predestined us unto sonship through Jesus Christ, unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. All of that was planned before the earth even was created. He highly favored us in the one having been beloved, that is Jesus, who is the manifestation of God that will marry the church. Now, just very quickly, you might want to look up some passages of Scripture. Let me give them to you. Jot them down. Our time is going very quickly. 
Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. Ezekiel, the first chapter. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. I also want to give you Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. And Revelation 21, verse 2. Now, I want you to notice in verse 7 in Ephesians, we're going to begin to read about what God wanted to do. Now, let's be very clear. Predestination is not to eternal destiny, but rather predestination is to holy, holiness and righteousness and true knowledge of God. To be holy expresses the moral and spiritual state of your spirit in the here and now. Now, let's look at verse 7. In whom we have the redemption by means of his blood, the removal of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he granted richly unto us in all conceivable wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Now we'll speak later about that mystery, but right now I want you to notice this word removal. Now in your NIV, it probably says to forgive the forgiveness of our sins. There's a problem with that translation. It's not a true translation. If I offend you and you forgive me, you have not done anything to me. You have simply remitted my offense. You have done something for yourself. You have released me from the sin I caused against you, but you've done nothing for me. Do you understand? When God forgives sin, he remits sin, but he does not change you. So the word forgive does not translate this correctly. The word in the Greek is ephemy, literally to remove Now, please catch this. By the means of the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary, he now comes to you, and he doesn't just forgive you your sin. He doesn't just remit your sin. But instead, he comes supernaturally into your heart, and he removes that sin. Look at the first and second chapters of first john he speaks about totally cleansing and purifying you from that sin in other words god is not just interested in forgiving and letting me go free he is in the process of building the church 
and the church is to be righteous and holy without sin. And he comes, and by the power of that blood shed on Calvary, he removes that sin from your life and from your heart as a supernatural act of grace. Now, please, I'm going to read for you another passage. The book of Colossians was probably written before the book of Ephesians. Colossians is the rough draft. But before he polished it into the book sent to Ephesus, he reveals some truths that are so precious to my heart. I want to read this wonderful, wonderful, precious promise. This is Colossians, the second chapter. I'll begin with verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is, in Jesus is the full Godhead. He has all of the power of God. He is equal to God. And you are in him, having been made complete, past tense, past tense, who is the head of all rule and authority, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision not of human origin, but by the stripping off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision done by Christ. That is, he takes from us the wickedness that we gained in Satan, and he transforms us now to be as Adam was before the fall. Adam, before the fall, did not sin. He was clean. He went about the work of the garden. He and his wife had a wonderful fellowship. There was no sin between them, and there was no sin in their hearts. And now the question is, can God restore his people to that condition? And the answer in the book of Colossians is absolutely. The answer in the book of Galatians is absolutely. Paul says, I I am crucified with Christ. I live, but not I. Christ lives in me. The fullness of the Godhead comes and dwells in me. Why? Because there is a great struggle going on between God and Satan, and at the cross it was settled. Jesus won. God won. The universe was safe from his lies. But now the question is, can these weak creatures win over Satan. And the modern church has lied to us and said, no, we cannot win over Satan. We will always be defeated by him. And we've come up with this term grace as a blanket that covers over your sin. It's like saying, a powerful man takes his wife and allows her to be raped and ravished by an enemy. No, 
God gave us the power in the blood of Jesus Christ to have the full and complete victory. And he comes and he circumcises our flesh. He strips away the flesh, the wicked carnal nature. In the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in the baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the workings of God, the one having raised him from among the dead. Now, verse 8 of chapter 3, But now you did also volitionally, voluntarily, Put off all these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another. Already put off the old man with his practices, and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him. And that word new in the Greek means something that never existed before. You are being created into a brand new person. And the teaching of this precious book of Ephesians and Colossians is that Satan is now saying, okay, you won, but I'm going to take all your church. I'm going to take your bride. Now, I'll tell you, he cannot take his bride because Century after century after century of men and women lived without sin, righteous and holy before God. They are the church. And now the church continues to be built. The church continues with those men and women who are crucified with Christ, who have given up their love of this world and the love of the devil, the love of the flesh, the love of the entertainment of this world. They have separated themselves. They have come out of it. They have stood up, and the glory of Jesus now shines upon them. I hope I've not overwhelmed you with all of this today. It is the most glorious truth I can imagine. And I want to be a part of that bride victorious, not ravished by the devil, not fooled again as Adam and Eve were, that they could partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and still go to heaven, still be the bride of Christ, still be his special people. Today is the day of salvation. You can be forgiven You can be made new. You can walk away from your sin. And you can grow up in Jesus Christ and be a part of this wondrous, glorious church, bride of Christ. Well, we're out of time for today. I wonder if some of you became angry with me because I said the election was about moral issues and not political issues that politicians cannot save America, that only Jesus can. I've not received one. Yes, I have received one gift from a dear brother in Frederick on the November bill. I've gone to the post office every day and there's not been anything there. I've wondered if all of you got angry with me because of how straight I've been. 
If I've offended you, please forgive me, but I'm going to speak the truth as I see it in Jesus. And I ask that if you are walking with me in faith and you desire to be a part of that bride of Christ, would you help this message go out over America and over Washington, D.C.? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Now let me pray. Lord, what a glorious and amazing truth that you planned before the creation of the earth to bring forth your bride. And Satan did all he could to seduce her and rape her and destroy her. But you came and washed her and cleansed her. And now, Jesus, we get to choose whether we're going to be a part of your church. Lord, thank you for asking me to be a part of your church. Would you save my brothers and my sisters that they too would join together in triumph over Satan in the victory of walking without sin. I pray in your name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley at the National Prayer Chapel. I pray that you will have a wonderful Thanksgiving day. Talk to your family about Jesus. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.